we jump into uh, this new series and the message this morning, um, obviously, as many of you know, in our community, um, there was a tragic accident um, this past week and several, several students lost their lives and have impacted families and friends. And uh, two, uh, two of the girls are in the hospital, one in Huntsville and one in Birmingham. Some of those families are connected here and I've been in touch with and Pastor Ryan's been in touch with. And, and there are a lot of opportunities going to be on the horizon for you as individuals to love these families as you know them and to come alongside of them. And, uh, and we're going to do that as a church. Um, we've already been asked to step up and provide food tomorrow for some of the funerals. And uh, we're going to do that. Um, but I would love for us today uh, just to pray. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe um, the Bible makes it very clear that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's not just salvation like we'll go to heaven. That means that God's presence shows up. And so I would love for us together, man, let's stand. And uh, if you feel comfortable praying out loud, you can. If you don't, you can pray silently. But for, as a church, can we pray for these families? Can we pray for these two girls recovering that God's grace and power would show up? Father, we come in the name of Jesus. And Father, we cannot imagine... God, the difficulty and the weight and the heaviness of this situation that, God, these families are going through. Lord, I can't imagine how difficult it is as a father to know that they've lost a son. God, to know, Father, that their daughter is, is, um, is in a difficult place and may not recover. Lord, many of us in this room, those are the feelings and the situations that we fear the most. And, God, these are the situations that families in our community and a part of our church that are a part of right now. And so, God, we lift them up to you. We pray in the name of Jesus that, God, your grace and your peace would come alongside of them. God, your word declares that it's a peace that, that passes understanding. It, it, like, it doesn't make sense how we can be be at ease in our hearts in the middle of such chaos. But God, we pray that for every one of these families. God, we pray that for every person involved and impacted by this tragedy. Lord, minister to their hearts. Give them grace and peace. Father, we pray, God, for these two young girls. God, we pray in Jesus' name as they recover. Lord, it would be, God, by the grace of these doctors, but even more so by the power of God. Lord, we pray, God, touch them and bring total health and recovery to their bodies. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, God, as a church and as a community, Lord, you would put compassion and empathy in our hearts that God we would, we would rise to the occasion we would respond with practical love that Father we would God continue in the background to pray and believe God for your grace and your power so Lord touch these families God be everything that they need Lord we know God at the end of the day you are the answer to this entire situation so Lord show up in the hospital rooms God show up in, in the surgery show up in our actions to love these families. And God, we pray that in the name of Jesus, you would heal their hearts and you would heal their bodies. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. 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 God bless you guys, man. You could be seated. Well, listen, I don't know about you guys, but uh, just a couple weeks ago, uh, the tax deadline came and went. And, uh, you know, it came and went. And, the, you know, probably for the last, uh, last well, 20-some years. We normally get a little bit of a, uh, of a tax return, and, you know, we look forward to it. We try, to, we try to manage our finances. The goal is to get it to zero, but we typically, man, get a little tax refund. Come on, somebody on the tax refund. Whoop, whoop. And, uh, you know, my, my kids already have it spent before it shows up, like what they think is coming. They already have all these ways, you know, in their mind of what they're going to do with what they think is their money. And uh, so this year, you know, we submitted our taxes. Our accountant took care of them. And this year, instead of getting a refund, we got a 
bill. A big old fat cry myself to sleep, kick the dog bill. You know what I'm talking about? And so what can you do? What can you do? You know, so the next day we, uh, we filed our taxes. We wrote a big check, and it just is what it is. But here's, here's reality. I'll be honest. There was a part of me for just a half a second that I just rejected reality. Do you know what I mean? I thought, this can't be right. In fact, I said it can't be right. I called my accountant and actually said these words. This can't be right. And had him walk me through why it was right, and he showed me all the things that have changed and adjusted. And, but here's, again, the thing is, for me, I had a choice. I could either, I could either reject reality or accept reality. Yeah. And it's not really healthy to reject reality. While there are consequences, while there are challenges, reality is reality. And so today, we're going to step into a series where I just want to talk about reality. Yeah. I want to talk about the reality of this generation known as Generation Z. And the reason I say I want to talk about it on the context of reality is because maybe you, um, as a person in Generation Z, or you as a parent or grandparent that have kids that are connected and related to children who are part of Generation Z, you might have a preconceived idea of what you think Generation Z is, what you think they should be, what you think you're going to make them. But for the next few moments, I just want to tell you, what researchers, philosophers, sociologists, educators, what they have come to the conclusion, whether we like it or not, whether we agree or not, what they are. Because until we come to a consensus and a reality of what Generation Z is, we really won't know how to respond. And we're going to get to the end of this message and talk about there should be some kind of response for us as parents, as the church, of how to love, how to mentor, how to handle, how to be a part of this next generation. So, Let's talk about generations for a minute because before we get to Generation Z, some of you I've already lost you. You don't even know what Generation Z is. Um, they, sociologists, they kind of track groups of people by generations. In fact, the first generation, there are currently five generations alive, overwhelmingly five generations alive on planet Earth. The oldest generation are known as the matures. The matures, they were a group that were born before 1946. Do we have any matures in the house? I said, do we have any matures in the house? Oh, awesome. I'm just kidding. Just, I'm just a joke. Before 1946, the matures are also known as the greatest generation. The great, they were known as the greatest generation because they were the generation, uh, you know, that were very pivotal in the, in the strength and the structure of our nation. They were ones that sacrificially went off to war. Uh, they didn't have to. They chose to. And uh, in kind of their mantra for each of these generations uh, kind of we have a mantra, kind of how they identify themselves. They were just grateful to have because the generation before them had come through World War I, the Great Depression, World War II. And so this generation, they were just thankful to have a house. They didn't have to have a 4,500-square-foot house. They didn't have to have a great – they were just thankful to have a job. They were thankful to have a couple kids. They were thankful to have, uh, you know, the small things in life. And so that's who the matures were. After, after the matures came what is known as the boomers. Now, the reason they were the boomers is because there were a lot of babies born. Do you know why? Because all the soldiers came home from the war, and they missed their women, and lots of babies were born. Come on, you all know how that works. We don't need to show diagrams or anything, do we? Okay. The boomers are the generation born between 1946 and 1964, roughly. All these are kind of rough. How many boomers do we have in the house? Okay. This, kind of their mantra was, you owe me. What's funny is, and I have studied, I've been studying this stuff for about six weeks, more in the last month, and really dug in the last couple weeks, and I'm dizzy with details. 
Um, but they have been known as kind of the you, you owe me generation. We think is, of the millennials as entitled. Let me just tell you, you have forgotten how entitled you thought you were in that generation. Here's why. It's because your parents, your parents, the matures, because they live such frugal lives. When the boomers came along, they wanted more than their parents had, so they just expected more. They wanted more. They demanded more. And so, again, they became the kind of the you owe me, the boomer generation. Next was Gen X. I am Gen X. Generation X was also known as the Busters. And the reason they were known as the Busters uh, is because the boomers, while lots of babies were born in the boomer generation, it was in my generation two key things happened. One of the things that happened was Roe v. Wade was made law, which means abortions became very regular. Number two, it was the, for the first time in this generation um, that public uh, you know, birth control pills, condoms, that became very public, very common. You could get them anywhere. And so because of that, populations dipped. Baby, babies being born dipped. So we became the buster generation. Uh, this generation is born 65 to 78. How many Gen Xers do we have in the house? Awesome. It's, uh, it's funny. Uh, our generation, kind of our mantra was, you're on your own. You're on your own. I can tell you as being a part of Gen X, another synonymous term, we were the latchkey generation. My mom was the first woman in, in, the, in our family that went off to work. So when I would come home from school, I came home to an empty house. I fixed my own snack. I got my own thing. I remember where previous generations, kids were picked up from school as a kindergartner. I was walking home from school as a kindergartner. And so kind of our generation was you're on your own. You've got to kind of figure out life and navigate some things on your own. After Gen X is the generation that takes a lot of heat known as the millennials. The millennials, born 79 to 98. How many millennials do we have in the house? Awesome, man. I love the mix here. Kind of the millennials mantra is YOLO. You only live once. And so the millennial generation has kind of been a generation that just kind of like, you know, man, they'll, they'll just take a little bit of everything in, in the way they live life and the way they experience life and the way their belief systems are built. They just kind of like it's a buffet-style lifestyle, and that's okay, but that's who they are. What we're going to talk about today and for the next several weeks, again, is this next generation, Generation Z. Generation Z now, there's, again, a little bit of disagreement. None of these dates are exact. Some, some people say it's those born after 95. Most say it's those born after 1999 to the present. So basically, if you're 20 years or younger, you're part of Generation Z. How many Generation Z people do we have in the house? Awesome. Most of them in the kids center are like, me. Uh, they, they are, they're kind of their mantra is, I'm coping and hoping. And, and we'll come back, and, and I'll tell you why, and you'll see why this is important. Now, who is Generation Z? Generation Z, there is about 70 million people who fit in this generation in the United States. They are 2 billion strong on planet Earth, which means one out of every seven people in our country fits in Generation Z. One out of every three and a half people on planet Earth is a part of Generation Z. Globally, they are by far the largest population on the planet. And here's why that's really important to understand is because a lot of times we tend to think about generations that they're the next generation in culture. Generation Z, they are not the next generation in culture. They are culture. It's important I say this. In fact, here's how I wrote this down. Newer generations do not adapt to culture. Culture adapts to newer generations. Now, this is really important we get this. 
So let me give you two examples. And I'm going to say some things today that might ruffle your feathers. Don't get mad at me. I'm just trying to focus the lens. Don't write me letters because it's not going to change what I think, what I preach, or how I am as a pastor. Just, I just want you to hear it. I'm just showing you reality. I'm not telling you I agree with some of these things or disagree. I'm just showing you reality. When we talk about that newer generations do not adapt to culture, they don't just embrace culture and live what used to be. What happens is culture adapts to the new things that are coming with the new up-and-coming generation. Two examples, iPhones and pictures. And those aren't two. That's just one example. How many people here remember when you would take a picture and you had a roll and you had to take it to the pharmacy and they would print your pictures and you would drop it off and then you would go get it developed and then you show everybody your picture. Let me show you my pictures. Look at my little baby girl. Now, how many people here, what, how many people here in the last six months took a roll of film somewhere and developed it? Raise your hand. Exactly. Even though that's what many of you did for years, why don't you do it anymore? It's because... This, this, this new technology has come along, smartphones, and, and so now we share pictures. And so exclusively, exclusively, Generation Z, their technology, and we're going to come to this in a second, but they show all their pictures on smartphones and devices like that. Well, what's happened is, is that's backfilled to older generations. Now my mom and my dad, they're in their 70s. Listen, if you want pictures of, of me and, our, and your grandkids, you better get a smartphone because that's how we share pictures. And so what's happened is these older generations fumble their way through smartphones because they want to be a part of culture. Are you all hearing what I'm talking about? So they've embraced new technology because it's the newer generation that defines culture. Let me give you another one. This is uncomfortable, but I'm just going to say it. Uh, when we talk about, for example, sexuality, LGD, uh, L, uh, lesbian, gay, bigender, transsexual. Now, for some older generations, the mature generation, the boomer generation, it was a lifestyle that was out of bounds. It was very unfamiliar to culture. You didn't know probably very many people, if anybody, that was a part of that lifestyle. For my generation, it became people on the fringe. We knew people, kind of. You kind of know some people. It's a, kind of a part of culture. Millennial generation, it was very much a part of culture. Now, for, for the Generation Z, they know people. Good friends of theirs are in that lifestyle. And so whether we like it or not, what's happened is now how they embrace and understand culture has backfilled to the older generation. So some of you in your 50s, 60s, 70s who would never embrace that, never endorse that, never be a part of that, now because your kids or grandkids are in the lifestyle or know somebody or have friends, all of a sudden you've opened your heart up. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that we better be aware of Generation Z because they are defining the culture that we all live in. Okay? So... So here's what we want to talk about. I want to talk about kind of the key values, lifestyles, and viewpoints that define them. I'm going to give you a lot of information. We're going to move pretty quick. Here's seven things real quick that define kind of their viewpoints, their values of Generation Z. They're screenagers. Safe spaces are normal. Real safety is a myth. They're diverse. They're skeptical of traditional institutions. Par parents are double-minded, and worldview is post-Christian. I'm going to go through these one at a time, but I want to get them all up front. When I say they're screenagers, screenagers, it's not my term, a guy by the name of Tim Elmore. This all comes from a, a huge study Barna Research has done. Authors like Tim Elmore, James Emery White, Jonathan Morrow, these are all people in the culture, have their finger on the culture that I've studied for now weeks. I've read three books, tons of articles, listened to podcasts, trying to bring this all together for us as a church. And so Tim Elmore came up with this term, screenagers, and here's why. Because you can't talk about this generation, Generation Z, without talking about technology. Right. I mean, it's just impossible. Uh, like, for example, how many people here remember the Jetsons? How many Generation X remember the Jetsons? 
Remember watching the Jetsons, and in the Jetsons, anytime there was a phone conversation, there was a video. It was a video conference. They would push a button, and there was, you know, there was Mr. Spacely on the video screen. For us, that was future. Like that, like we couldn't even imagine that happening. Now, today, Generation Z, they can't, there is no frame of reference in their mind that you didn't have video conference. You, when you talk to them on the phone, you can talk to them on the screen. I mean, imagine the shift in the change. When you say screenagers, um, studies show that 57%, 57% of Generation Z are on some kind of device or screen a minimum of four hours a day. 24% are on a screen up to eight hours a day or more. Where my generation was a one-screen generation, millennials were a two-screen generation, Generation Z is a five-screen generation. means at any one time they're going to have a tablet, a phone, a, t- a TV, you know, all these different devices, a laptop rolling at one time. And so they are very much immersed in this technology uh, and are very much immersed in, in kind of seeing things. Here's why this is important. is because the amount of information, right, everything they're seeing, uh, it's, the content is defining them and the experience is rewiring them. The content, the content is defining them and the experience is rewiring them. When I say the experience is rewiring them, because they are constantly connected to the Internet and technology, it's, re- it's literally, scientists have proved, it's rewiring their brains, different than any other generation, which means they are learning at a faster rate. At the same time, their attention span is decreasing. So they can process information faster, and they pay attention to it shorter. Kind of crazy. When I say the content is defining them, think about this, as they open themselves up to everything on the internet and everything in technology, like you can't define them by just you and your family values anymore because they're open to the values of the world and it is very much defining who they are as individuals, as students, as a culture. It's changing them in very significant ways. At the same time, while Generation Z is one of the safest generations ever, Come on, because they got helmets and they got rubber stuff you fall on when you fall off the monkey bars. I mean, they don't even know what monkey bars are anymore. If you've never fallen off monkey bars and broken something, you didn't live right. Come on, somebody. Uh, so while they're one of the safest generations, at the same time, this, this is crazy again because they're so technology connected, they're experiencing at an unprecedented rate anxiety and fear and psychological disorders. Two things, and, and they, they, they buck against each other. If you disconnect Generation Z from technology, 79% of them start displaying signs of, of post-traumatic stress. Like, where's my device? Seriously. Like, they got to be connected. But yet, while they're connected, sociologists have said this, that many of them are experiencing. Scientists haven't embraced this. Sociologists said they will soon. Sociologists have come up with this term, FOMO. Fear of missing out. Like, if they're, if they're, while they're connected, everybody else is better than them. Everybody else is better looking than them. Everybody else is living a more exciting life than them. And so but while on technology, especially social media, they're always trying to up their friends. And they're always trying, how many likes did I get on my picture? Um, do, do my friends like me? And there's all this anxiety and pressure and challenges. And so they are screenagers. They're very much connected to technology, very much connected to all these things. And in fact, think about this. A big difference for them, Generation Z does, is they have grown up with the Internet in their pocket. Oh, come on. I remember not having a computer, much less Internet. And then I remember finally getting the internet. Anybody here remember this? You know, man, that crazy noise. 
Now they open up their smart device and they're connected to the World Wide Web like that. Here's why this is really important. It's because my generation and generate the boomer generation, the mature generation, and we learned from people who taught us. Think about this. We learned how to work on cars. We, worked on, we learned how to go hunting. We learned math and science very much by other people teaching us. You may not like to hear this, but they don't need us anymore. Do you know why? Because they have Google. In fact, I'd say it this way. They don't need the previous generation to teach them like we needed the previous generation to teach us. Here's why. They don't need information, but they do need interpretation. They need somebody in the midst of all this information flooding their way on their five screens and being connected to the Internet. As they're being overwhelmed, they're being rewired. It's changing their context. They need somebody that has some life experience and has some values in this world to help give them some context to the content. And that's where we step in as parents, and that's where we step in as the church. But again, very much they are screenagers. So real quick, I just want to say this. Here's, Here's... back up. I hit that twice. Here's some things we can do. And I'm, I don't have even much time to talk about this, but don't give phones too soon. Pastor, don't tell me how to parent. Well, that's what I get paid to do. I don't have time to get into all the reasons why. And parents, number one reason parents say they give their kids phones. Number one reason. Anybody want to guess what it is? Because when they're away, we want them to be able to get in touch with them. Well, all their friends have cell phones. Let them borrow one of theirs. And if you're allowing your kid to go somewhere where there's not an adult within shouting distance, shame on you. Shame on you. And I promise you, if the kids don't have a phone, an adult will have one. But if you're going to give them one, I'm telling you, for me, I'm telling you how we parent. Our son didn't get a smartphone until last year, and he cried for two years. I'm the only one in school that doesn't have a phone. I'm like, well, you're the only kid that, I, that's, that I'm responsible for, because if I was responsible for all of them, none of them would have a smartphone. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Don't give phones too soon. I think you should just fight that. Just try to win, be smart when and why you do it. And when you do it, monitor what you give them. Any, anybody remember the Christmas story? <laughs> All-time favorite Christmas movie ever, the Christmas story. What did the little kid want for Christmas? Red, come on, not a BB, come on, stop it, a BB gun. He wanted a Red Rider. Bolt action. Hey, thank you, Pastor Adam. Like, well, come on, which one of us here would just hand our kid a BB gun and never check back, never check in, never give them any kind of way to shoot it, never hold it. None of us. But we give our children devices. Do you all know that one in four websites are pornographic? One in four. We just hand it to our kids, and it's rewiring them, and it's changing the way they think. And so I'm just saying, if you're going to give them a phone, monitor what you give them, have some conversations about it. Number three, give them wisdom about their digital footprint. What's crazy is, as I've been studying this, I'm starting to look at all these stories I've been reading. There are people right now, some of you, anybody here follow the NFL draft this past week? There's a young man that possibly should have went first in the quarterback draft. The reason he didn't go first is because of some ridiculous statements he made when he was a freshman in high school. His digital footprint five years ago is impacting six years ago, is impacting how he was selected in the draft. One of the first places that people go when they hire somebody is they go to social media pages. And what means is what your children are posting now could be detrimental to them in five or ten years. Imagine the technology that's coming that can... I'm about to make some of you nervous. Imagine the technology that's coming that can show everywhere you were on the Internet for the last five years, five years from now. Ooh, because it's coming. 
So you just need to make them aware. Be sensitive of what you're posting. Pay attention to what you're posting because it could come back and bite you. And lastly, guard when and where it's on. There should just be some rules. There are rules in our house. You can't take your phone into your room. And uh, they're saying this, that kids, this generation, Generation Z, is one of the most sleep-deprived generations ever. Do you know why? Because they got their phones in their rooms, and it's dinging and buzzing, and it goes off all night, and they're not sleeping well. So, again, I'm not here to tell you what my rules are, but I would at least suggest that you just decide possibly not turning them off when you have dinner together, don't let them go in their rooms, things like that. But show some wisdom to the screenagers. I'm losing time. Got to go real quick here. Number two, safe spaces are normal. Safe spaces are normal. When I say safe spaces are normal, um, again, we hear words like trigger words, microaggressions. Anybody hear these words before? I'm just telling you, from my generation, and I hear my generation older, or look at the younger generations, and we call them snowflakes. They just need to get over it. They just need to man up. Well, whether we like it or not, this, they're not manning up. This is their generation. Generation Z is very much defined by a strong aversion of offending anybody or upsetting anybody or hurting anybody's feelings. That's how they're defined. And because of that, it's normal. Where we have to learn trigger words, trigger words are just a part of their DNA. They're not going to hurt somebody's feelings if they can't. The negative side of it is they're very reluctant as a generation to stand up for truth because they don't want to offend anybody or hurt anybody's feelings. And so it comes back and, and bites them, especially when it pertains to faith. Number three, real safety is a myth. Real safety is a myth. Another term for Generation Z is the, the homeland generation because anybody born in Generation Z, they've always been a part of the homeland security. That's not always been. They're defined by, um, they're, they come into the world right after... Um, 9-11 uh, 2008 uh, gave them a very dystopian viewpoint of this of especially the American dream um, because 2008 was the market crash and the housing bubble and all these things came so Generation Z when they look at culture there's it's not safe it's not a safe place financially it's not a safe place racially it's not a safe place uh, anywhere they feel very much like they have to pull in again so real safety this is something for me with all the gun violence that's happening um, when the shooting happened in Florida, well, I, well obviously that is incredibly tragic. Uh, as Generation Z, and I'm a gun fan, and I, I'm not asking anybody to accept that or like it, but I, I, I carry whatever. For me to hear that generation so quickly want to give up their rights, I'm like, why would you give up your Second Amendment rights? Like, they're ready to throw it in. Do you know why? Because their whole life has been defined by war, there's never not been a war or conflict in this generation. There's always been war. There's always been violence. There's always been financial struggles. So they're just looking for safety. They're looking for something that they can control that will create safety. Number four, they're a diverse generation. They're a diverse generation. Think about this. For us, for us, many of us in this room at least, many of us in this room, um, we, don't, we, don't see, we, don't, we don't realize diversity until we see it. Like, we walk in a room, we're used to a bunch of white people, we're used to a room a bunch of black people, we're used to a room a bunch of affluent people, and then, oh, there's some uh, people of other color, other race, other so, oh, okay, we're diverse. For them, they don't see diversity until it's absent. They're used to diversity. They're used to people of different sexual preferences, people of different colors. In fact, some people are saying this, that this generation is the first generation that the majority of class pictures are no longer predominantly white male. So that means their class, my class picture, my kindergarten picture, there was a black kid. There's a bunch of white kids. Pictures today, 
Times have changed. Generations have changed. So for them, they're used to diversity. Their pictures are Asian and black and all across the spectrum. It's who they are. And so we have to understand that that's who they are. In fact, think about it this way for their generation. They won't remember a time where there wasn't a black president or a gay marriage. That's their frame of reference. That's how they think. That's who this generation is. Um, they say this, that 13% when it comes to, this is, this is kind of crazy, uh, 13% um, consider themselves uh, to be transgendered in some way or homosexual or bisexual in some way. 43% believe that, um, uh, that it's a feeling. It's not, it's not a fact that your gender is based on how you feel. And so they're very much uh, sexually diverse, very much um, geographically diverse, very much racially diverse. They are very much used to diversity. Number five, Generation Z is skeptical of tra traditional institutions. Actually, after I submitted my notes to the TV guys, this is skeptical is a really bad word. They're, they're averse to traditional. They reject traditional institutions. When I say traditional institutions, Generation Z, for example, um, they, they're not connected to politics. In fact, politics, po politicians are panicking because they already see this next generation backing out. And the reason they're, 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 they're against um, our political system is because they don't identify. There's no party they identify. While politically they lean very liberally, financially they lean very... They lean with Republicans. Politically they lean with Democrats. So there's no party that represents them. So they're just out. They're just out. They just don't buy it. Uh, religion, they don't, they don't relate. The way the messages are preached, what's happening in church, from all these things, they all react to how, how we lack diversity in churches, all the challenges, the way we preach, the way we're sometimes judgmental. They don't relate to religion, and so they're backing out at unprecedented rates. Um, banking, this generation is aver uh, have an aversion to big banks because of some of the abuses that they perceive to happen. In fact, but one of the good things about this generation, I love it, 71% said that they plan on starting a small business. They are less interested. This is big. They, don't want, a pur they want a purpose, not a paycheck. Like, I want to make enough money to survive, but I'm more interested in being a part of something that I feel like I'm making a difference. That's awesome. But think about that different from my generation, different, very different from the boomers, very different from the mature. We were about making money. They're not interested in money. They're interested in purpose and making a difference. Real quick, roll through these. Uh, parents are double-minded. They view their parents as double-minded, and it's defining who they are as a generation. Two ways. Researchers say that they're double-minded because there's this, there's this two thing happening. One, parents are helicopter parents. We've talked about this in the past, where we're very active and very engaged in keeping our kids safe. But we're double-minded because when it comes to technology, when it comes to websites, when it, we disengage. We just hand kids a smart device and we disengage. And kids are paying attention. So I got to wear a helmet when I ride a bike, but you can give me my, smart, you give me my smartphone and I can look at what I want, when I want, how I want. They're double-minded. And they're double-minded because parents who claim to have values don't live the values they claim. I'm not pointing that at anybody. I'm telling you, this generation is looking at their parents saying they claim to have values, but they don't live the values they claim. And number seven, this is the one we ought to, as a church, ought to perk up and pay attention to. Their worldview is post-Christian. Their worldview is post-Christian. Now, when I say worldview is post-Christian, there may be some debate whether this nation was ever Christian. I think at least we can agree that this nation was Christianized. 
When I say that means when I was growing up, there, was, there were references everywhere to the gospel. There were references everywhere. In, in my school plays, even though I didn't grow up in church, I didn't grow up a Christian, the school plays had all the traditional uh, Christmas music. And if you look back at all the traditional Christmas music, it all pointed to Jesus, right? Away in a manger and all, like all these songs, it all pointed back to the gospel. Those songs are gone. Those plays are gone. Ten, uh, Ten Commandment mon monuments are gone. Crosses are pulled off public places. God has been pulled out of schools. There are no prayers. There are no Bible studies. I mean, those things have become absent. So when we talk about Generation Z, researchers are saying they've not just rejected Christianity. There is no memory of the gospel. They don't have a frame of reference to point to. For us, it was everywhere. It was in the schools. It was in church. It was, you would find it in families. There was this moral structure that was based somehow on the gospel. Those things are now gone. In fact, 13% claim to be atheists of Generation Z. 34% have no religious affiliation at all. 34%. One third of Generation Z has no religious affiliation at all. 40% says morality shifts with culture. So something that might have been wrong or untrue in our generation, it could be true in their generation and vice versa. It shifts, which, they, which means Generation Z very much believes that truth, that truth is not objective, it's subjective. It just changes with the circumstances, something we ought to pay attention to. Like, why does this matter? Why, why does this all matter? Here's why this matters is because I want you to think about this. And everything, and I know I'm giving you a lot on Generation C. Everybody else is paying attention to this except the people that should be paying attention the most. Advertisers are very much aware of who Generation Z is, how to reach them, how to make them buy their product. They're changing their marketing to reach Generation Z. People who are hiring the job market, they're very aware of Generation Z. In fact, they are shifting their training, they're shifting their filtering, they're shifting their recruiting to target Generation Z. They know in order to staff their businesses in the next generation, they better know who this generation is, how to reach them, and what they value. And so I'm just telling you that marketers are doing it, workplaces are doing it, universities are doing it, how they recruit, how they teach, everything they do is all targeted to this generation. But the two people that are not doing it the way we should are parents and churches. We are parenting like our parents parented us and we're having church like we grew up in and I'm just telling you that if we don't change very intentionally how to reach this next generation we will lose this next generation y'all remember you're clapping today when we change things at faith church to reach the next generation and not entertain the previous generation so for the next uh, for the next couple weeks and the rest of the day holy cow I'm running out of time we're through this real quick. Our goal, our goal is to help the next gen win. To help this next generation win. What's a win? For me, this is a win. This is how I know we've won. Is, is if we can teach this next generation this, learning to love God with your life. We can teach them to learn to love God with their life. Not teach them to believe something, teach them to live something. For most of us in this room, we were raised this way. We wanted our kids to make a standard of living. We wanted them to go to school, go get a good job, make a decent salary, and have a family. That has got to change. That has got to change. Here's why. Again, we want, we want our kids to make a standard of living. We need them to have a standard for living. 
How are you going to have conversations? How are you going to live your life? How are you going to make choices? How are you going to choose your spouse? How are you going to engage the culture that they're a part of? We need to make sure that our kids and the kids that are part of Faith Church, that they have a standard for living. Let me read through this real quick. I don't have a lot of time to comment. Let me just roll through this. Psalm chapter 78, verse 1 and 2. Asaph says, Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors have handed down to us. Where did their faith come from? It was handed down from the previous generation. We will not hide these truths from our children. Come on, y'all. I want you to read this with me. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power, and about his mighty wonders. For he has issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. It's a beautiful picture of four generations, grandparents, Telling their kids, telling their kids, making sure the next generation that's not even born, we're going to keep passing down. We're going to keep passing down who God is, what God has done. If we make sure that one thing makes it to the next generation, we want them to know how to live God and how to love God with their lives. We've got to pass it down. It goes on, he says this, So each generation should set its hopes anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. And then they'll not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. I'll give you three more things real quick, real quick. I want you to write them down, and we'll close. Winning, we talk about winning. We want to give this next gen a win. Winning has to be on purpose. Everybody say that. Winning is on purpose. This thing that we hope it happens, and it's an accidental thing if it does, it's got to change. Winning's on purpose. Your kids win at sports on purpose. They got a good coach. They show up to practice. They show up and someone pushes them to play hard. They win in school on purpose. They have teachers engaged. You, they come home. Where's your homework? Did you get your homework done? What paper do you have to write? And we stay connected with them. And we make sure that they, su- they succeed in education. Are we making sure that they succeed in faith? Or is it just by accident? Well, we hope they do the devotions and, you know, whatever. We have to have a strategy as parents and we have to have a strategy as a church to make sure that this next gen has a win. Number two, winning is a team sport. I don't care what sport it is. Tiger's the greatest golfer of all time. Golf is not a solo sport. Hit other people that trained him, other people that coached him, other people that caddied with him. Every sport is a team sport. If we're going to win this generation and help them experience a win, it's got to be a team sport. The days, the days of abdicating parental responsibility, hoping the neighbor... Because remember, how you ever grew up in a neighborhood that you had to watch out with your neighbors because neighbors would tell on you? And you had educators that they loved the Lord. Or they were least moral people. They had similar values. And so you would get it in your neighborhood and you would get it at school and you'd get it everywhere. That's not that way anymore. One of my sons, one of my son's coaches, he plays several sports. Is, he's admitted he's an atheist. He can teach him sports. I don't want to teach my kid about faith. So it's, it's a team sport. We as a church, we as a church, we got to get this thing right. Number three, this is the only win that really matters. If you don't hear anything else I said today, I want you to hear this and I'll close. 
we all want great things for our kids. In Generation Z, for the most part, in this room, there are kids. Our kids are our grandkids. We, we all want them. We want them to succeed in high school. We want, them to get in, we want them to get on merit roll and honor roll. We want them to push, to strive, to get an education, to go off to college. We want to see them succeed in sports or succeed in whatever hobby they have. We want them to make the band or make the chess club and do well. We want them in National Honor Society. We want them to find someone that will love them and live life with We want them to have kids and have, have a home and have a good job. Everybody wants that for their kids. But I'm telling you, listen to me. If your kid graduates valedictorian and goes off to an Ivy League school and gets a doctorate one day, and becomes incredibly, incredibly successful and wealthy and affluent and has children to love him and a beautiful home to live in and drives in Mercedes-Benz. And one day when he dies, he leaves millions of dollars to all kinds of charities and to his children. But he does not know Jesus. You lost as a parent. You lost. Because Jesus said, and what do you benefit? If you gain the whole world. What's the whole world to you as it comes to parenting? What's the whole world to your kid when it comes to their goals, their dreams, and achievements? Because what does it benefit them if they gain the whole world but lose their own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the next two weeks, we're going to dig a little deeper and talk about Generation Z and what we need to do, what they can do, what we can do together to get a next-gen win. Father, I pray speak to our hearts. God, help us to look through the lens of our parenting and of our church, of how we can love and embrace and help develop and grow this next generation. Because God, they are the culture that's coming. And Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys, man. We'll see you next week. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope that God spoke to